Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steiner right here on your source for cool jazz and more. WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. We continue our conversation to now and for a good part of this week about uh, Freddie Gray, two years later, what it has meant. We're here now with Dominique Stevenson, who is program director for the American Friends Service Committee and friend of a friend and co-author with Eddie Conway of Martial Law, The Life and Times of a Baltimore Black Panther, and Asura Mesh Amen, who is farm manager of the Tubman House Farm, and we're here to talk about the Tubman House and more, and welcome, good to have you both here. Thank, thank you, you, thank you. Two years. Wow. I know, it's, it is amazing when you think we've been here two years, and I'm just, you know, well, let me take a step backwards for some people who may just be tuning in for the first time and have no idea. I mean, they've been listening, but people know Freddie Gray's name and know the conversations we've been having, but it's about the founding of Tubman House. Why don't we start there? Tell me just a little bit about that, and then we can jump into it. Okay, so it's it's actually been about a year since we founded Tubman House also. Um, and I know a lot of people relate it to the uprising or the aftermath of, of Freddie Gray. Um, and the reality is we probably would have founded Tubman House anyway. We had been doing work in that community for a couple of years before the situation occurred with Freddie Gray and had really um, targeted that community because of the fact uh, that hunger is a big issue. Um, it's over-policed. Uh, you have probably, I think, the highest percentage of people in the Maryland prison system come from that community and go back to that community. And I also do tie that in with, with the aggressive policing. But we were working there. We started a few years ago with some of the young brothers that I worked with from the prison system, uh, Wahi, Shakur, um, Russell Green Bay. These folks just walked around the community with big bags filled with brown bag lunches, handing them out wow. just to, to start engaging the community. So it's amazing that, like, from that, you know, this whole, like, we have not just Tubman House. We've taken another lot. So we've extended. The lot next to where the farm is? Well, we no, we've a taken one, yeah, a different lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's down the street on Pressbury near Fulton. Um, because, you know, our vision is to create something sustainable for the community. We want to create jobs. We're working toward developing a cooperative. Um, we're planting grapes and hops and things like that. We're also going to plant food that is for the community because the community needs fresh fruits and vegetables. But we're looking at cash crops because we need to be able to create jobs and we need this project to be sustainable. Hmm. Grapes and hops? Yes. Yeah. Well, we got to talk about I, I was going to wait till later. I'll we're, defer we're, to the grapes farmer. Grapes and hops? <laughs> yeah, the grapes and hops are just some... Um, some very high uh, commodity crops that um, they have a lot of versatility. As we know, grapes can either be used as um, wine mm-hmm. or it can be just be juice. Um, it can be vinegar. Jellies. Uh, jellies, exactly. So it goes on and on. Preserves, and these are muscadine variety of grapes. It's a native grape, so it's very hardy. Native to? America. Amer- uh-huh. Uh-huh. These varieties are native to this coast. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So they grow wild, and they're very hardy. You know, so... Um, that's very important that people see things that are sustainable. Um, in addition, that hops is also a herb. It's good for tonics, um, and also is used in brewing beer. But uh, all these things have multi-usage, and that's what's important because that makes something more 
practical for making an economic base. You know, um, mm. even grape leaves can be used for things. You see what I'm saying? So that's a whole Middle Eastern dish, I think, using grape leaves, right? It's true. It's true. And um, this variety of um, of muscadines also has seeds. So we know now this big craze for uh, grape seed extract. You know the resveratrol and the different antioxidants that are in it. So you know it's just it. it mm. You have just a cumulative effect with these plants that can also be used to heal. They can be mm-hmm. used to feed and also to build sustainable economic businesses. So I mean, and the the the, the, the land you all have, the house and the mm-hmm. lots. These are these are things you just took. Yes, basically took, liberated is yes. the right word, right? We liberated the spaces. Liberated yes. the space. Yeah, yeah. something we think more people should do all across this country. Um, we're currently negotiating with the city to obtain the land. And actually, because of the fact that we are growing grapes and we're increasing the crops, we've been looking at this project in Cleveland, um, a vineyard there, and looking at what we might be able to learn and take from that. So we're potentially looking at either biosellers, which means leveling the properties and using the basements or the foundations. You mean leveling the project, you mean like tearing them down? Mm-hmm. De- what we want, we want to deconstruct. We also want to rebuild a community space there. So we're not just going to use it for farming, but our vision includes uh, a multi-use space. So we're talking to folks at the Neighborhood Design Center to assist us with that. But we want to also be able to increase the amount of stuff that we're growing and be able to grow year-round. So if it's not absolutely a bio-seller, it will be like a submerged greenhouse. We also have another greenhouse going up right now um, that Asar and our volunteers have been building from the ground up. And that's at um, that's on Pressbury near Fulton. So, yeah, we're the looking... The new lot. Yes, the new lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what are you going to grow in there? Well, and there we'll do things like start our seedlings and our transplants and then start crops that need more heat, heat-loving crops like ginger and turmeric. Um, but that would be our base for being able to start our vegetables for the spring, summer, and fall season. Um, and in addition to, mm. you know, all these buildings or houses getting um, taken down or demolished, um, the actual cellars or the basements or the foundations are usually still good. and they're definitely good enough to be able to be used as a heat sink to hold heat. So we're talking about things that um, we're trying to store heat so that we can reuse that heat for the crops instead of having to have a, a heated, propane heated. Or, so how would you store the heat? Well, if you have uh, underground and you have like medium-like soil and you pump hot air into that soil, that soil will hold that heat. It will also increase the microbial activity in the soil and then you, that heat will radiate from the soil at night. So usually in a greenhouse, um, it gets heated up by the sun during the day, and mm-hmm. at night you have to heat it at night. Mm-hmm. But if you have something like a heat sink, sometimes in greenhouses they use water, so they use big uh, jugs of water or gallons of water. They paint it black so the sun shines on it, it heats up the water, and then the water distributes the heat at night. Well, it's the same thing, but if you put that underground where it's already insulated by the ground, it holds the heat longer. That's very fascinating. Yeah, so it's just so passive it's a, heating greenhouse. It's really expanded from the beginning. I mean, the idea, I yeah. mean, originally you just took this house. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the vision grew. More and more people volunteer. There's so many people that are helping with this project. But also people in the community support it. Um, 
we do a lot of just regular community events. We were having movie nights and things like that, a lot of activities for the children. On the wall where the house is, you mean? Yeah. Outside? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and, and we're also looking at preserving that wall inside that has um, that portrait of Harriet Tubman. Um, so we're, we're looking at how we're going to be able to cut that out. But what do you we, mean, why would you have to cut it out? Because we're gonna we're going to allow for deconstruction because we want that space to look different because most of those houses that are in that block yeah. are not um, salvageable. Tubman House itself was was uh, it was it was sound mm-hmm. in terms of the construction, but the rest of that block is not. And because we're currently looking at, we want a different kind of space. We want a space that can accommodate um, the children in the community. There are elders who play horseshoes. We want something, you know, a little bit more fancy for them. So we want to work with folks around the house to really actually determine what the space will look like. But the deconstruction is going to happen because, like I said, we're looking at using those cellars and not so much using the the top floors of those houses. So would you build on top of the cellars or would you just create a new open space? There's going to be partially open space, but also enclosed. Mm-hmm. So some of that's going to be built on top of, but some of it's going to be open space. So because we also are, we need meeting space. We need community space. Ideally, we want to have a space where people can come and use the Wi-Fi. They can charge a cell phone. They can have a cup of coffee and talk if they want to. We don't want like the, a coffee shop. We want it to be open to people who just drop in and interact. We want to be able to meet there um, to talk about issues in the community and to continue to do the organizing because we're also looking at developing a food club, which we hope to expand into a, a food co-op at some point. So we're still doing the food giveaways and things like that. So we also need an enclosed space to work from. But we want to commit more space also to the farming because if we're trying to create jobs, we have to be able to create more crops, more cash crops. And I mean, that's why we're doing the grapes and the hops, obviously. Those are, you know, are big. So going back to the beginning here for a moment, because it's it's been two years since Freddie Gray, Mm -hmm. and Tubman House was a year later when you came in. But there's where the portraits of Freddie Gray, this is where things went down Mm -hmm. with Freddie Gray at that location. You're right by Gilmore Homes, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So I mean that 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 to me is significant that you yes. that why you politically socially psychologically chose this location. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, it's, it's very important because um, it's a place where we saw uh, where the whole nation saw uh, a great travesty happen again, mm-hmm. and the people in the community have been uh, scarred by that in many things. You know. Gilmore Homes, that area, that two one two one seven area, Sandtown area, is is a uh, is um, ground zero, like Dominique stated. You know, for re- recidivism, for police violence, police ha- also having the largest budget. Um, you know, mm-hmm. so so it's a uh, it's, it's you a mean lot that of, district having the largest that, budget. That district having the largest Western, budget. Western, right? Yes, right. Mm-hmm. Western district. Thank you. And um, being able to do work right there is to bring back um, joy and hope to the people there, you know, um, mm-hmm. really one plan at a time, one block party at a time, mm-hmm. you know, one event at a time, you know. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So I, it's interesting to watch and hear how this has kind of grown. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and you know, I, when you think of uh, a question like what has changed since Freddie Gray's death, mm-hmm. what positive has come out has changed since his his death, um, and so no one being held accountable for his death, but since yeah. right, and so. In some ways, you can answer that. I guess you could pose that in a couple of ways. One has to do with how you might answer that question in a, in a larger political and social context about Baltimore City. Mm-hmm. And if you can answer that question, you can also answer the, and answer the question about what you all are doing mm-hmm. and how what that means for that change, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I, one of the things that Sarah spoke to was joy. I think that that's something that we are experiencing with people in the community. Those block parties, those kind of events help to contribute to that. I think that also people see us as part of the community, which is what we wanted. Um, we feel like, I mean, the reality is I live right across the street from Mondawmin, so I'm not, you know, I'm, uh, I live in West Baltimore. Um, but Baltimore is sometimes very neighborhood-centric. Yeah, right, right. But I feel very <laughs> much a part of the community. I think they, they treat us like we are a part of the community, and I feel like there is more... Um, interaction. Obviously, we're getting volunteers and we're getting people who are right there from the community who are are participating and helping out. And that's important because we didn't want to come in and do something for the community. And I'm saying that in quotations because that's how a lot of stuff happens. It doesn't have the approval. (laughs) Even before we took the house, I know this sounds crazy, but we went (laughs) in and we left a note just in case you know, somebody had been, you know, inhabiting the house or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Eddie and, and folks consulted with with the brothers on the corner. Everybody that we could, we consulted with. We had people go door to door. We told people what we wanted to do. Overwhelming support. Nobody said, no, don't do that. <laughs> it's like, okay, great. You want to do something for the kids, you know. So there was that kind of support. But we, we knew it was important to consult before we just took the house. Um, but it, it's, you know, I feel, I feel that, that joy that he's talking about. I feel like we laugh a lot. Um, I feel like people see that space as a space to drop by and talk to people because sometimes we just simply sit on the steps just like neighbors, you know. And other times there's a lot of work going on. But it just it feels like there is a sense of, of community and it's coming out more. There's still a lot of violence occurring in that community almost on a daily basis, you know. Um, and that has a lot to do with the economic situation. It has a lot to do with a lot of the situations on a larger scale here in the city. And so there's a lot of change that needs to happen. But I do feel that just on that interpersonal level, the interactions with people, the children, mm-hmm. um, goo gobs of children, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, who who in many cases have been traumatized. And most of the residents of that community have experienced trauma. You can't witness violence and, and be surrounded by violence and not go through that. But to still have that ability to laugh and joke and experience joy. Um, is it's been really good. It's been a what keeps us going. It's not just the work, you know. So I mean, I, 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 so many things flooding through my head right now. But so, so let me just stick with this for a moment. What you were just describing. So, I mean, how do you see the, the right? You have city programs that go in and they say they're going to do things to to uplift the neighborhood, and mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes they work on some levels, and many times they don't. Uh, because I think they don't do what you just suggested, Dominique, which is 
actually sitting and t- consulting with the community about what it is you want in your community, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to what we think you want and mm-hmm. what's best for you. So how do you see how do you see in your vision politically and socially what y'all are doing? What, what, what's the how does that change the dynamic? How does that change the power dynamic? How does that change the nature of community? What you can do given the resources you have and don't have? Mm-hmm. I think um, in addition to what we've what we've created with the community is uh, we create a sacred space. It changes the spirit of things. You know, if you can kind of vibe with me on that, it changes mm-hmm. the spirit of things. And when people walk past, when I said the word hope, I really meant the spirit, just like we, the spirit of rebellion, that spirit of resistance. It's also the spirit that you can change things, that things won't always be the same, or they can change in a way where as though it can have tangible results in a short period of time. And what we've gotten from the community is um, when you talk to them, they want more now. You know, and That's why mm-hmm. things have progressed. Because now that they see this can happen, they want more. You know, mm-hmm. The children want more. They go to school and they learn about things that's going on around the country. They learn about different science, technology, agriculture, community organizing. But then they come home and they don't see that. This reinforces what they're learning. This reinforces what they're hearing. And they want to, they want to grab a shovel and join in. Yeah. So, I mean, how, when you said, how does that literally manifested itself? Because I mean, it, I mean, you, it, well, Tubman House is is like right across the street from Gilmore Homes, mm-hmm. literally right there, mm-hmm. right, and right by the spot where Freddie Gary was snatched, mm-hmm. literally. So, so how does it manifest itself in terms of people saying they want more? What's what's happened that's changed over these last two years since you've been there with the community? Because oh. you've been building slowly. I mean, mm-hmm. you didn't come in and say, "Okay, we're here. We're going to do this." Yeah. Yeah. You moved in kind of slowly to kind of mm-hmm. talk to people and see what was going on. Well, people, I think all along, people were making suggestions about what what should happen and what we should do. And us being who we are, we're like, okay, we'll come back on Sunday <laughs> and, and help out. You know, because that's that's how it's supposed to work. But I think that this continued. People make suggestions. Even when we, uh, before we started planning, planting the season, we consulted with folks. We want to know what's going to be useful. What do they want us to grow? But through having those dialogues, more and more people also be, are becoming aware of the fact that the farm is there for them. Because last year we felt like people were very respectful, so they wouldn't just take stuff. We wanted them to take it. They would wait until we were there, and then, oh, yeah, can I get some of those green peppers? <laughs> but we want people to really feel like this is yours whether we're here I mean, Literally, they're just walking to the farm and say, I need a few green peppers. I'm going to pluck them and take them home. That's literally, what you mean. They, yeah. right? they're making dinner, and they need, or they they don't have any dinner. Mm-hmm. They're hungry. They we had squash. Anything. We had other things, yeah. too, there. So, yeah, so people, I feel like people are more um, more and more invested. And ultimately, like I said, what we're going to do is, is we begin to transform the site where Tubman House is, open that up to community input. What do you want to see? We, we know that, I mean, people have told us that the children need some kind of recreation space. There's no playground there. So they need something no like that. No playground. In all of Gilmore Homes, there's no playground. No. I mean, there there is one. I'm sorry. I stand corrected. There is a pool and there's basketball courts. Um, they're further down. Right. And so, you know, some people won't go down the hill. But there's Because sometimes there's problems for children, you know, going into other areas. Um, we redid the basketball court at Bruce Court like a couple of years ago. Oh, I remember when you all did that. Yeah. Right. So, um, but but that also came from 
talking to people, what needs to happen. And sometimes it's just like really simple things like that. Um, sometimes it's larger. Right now we know that we're not we're not yet in the position that we want to be in politically to really create the level of transformation that needs to happen. We're positioning ourselves. We're working with the community. We're not trying to inflict our value system on the community or our politics. We're simply trying to work together with folks and grow together and build together. Um, and that comes from allowing them that, that kind of input, allowing people to say, I think you should do this, or I think you should, you know, let's have a game night, that kind of, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. thing. So. And how often are we going to say something? Sorry, well, you know, also uh, people in the community, we found that they, um, they are resources, and now they see ways on how to um, position themselves to help as well. Mm -hmm. People come past, and they're like, oh, I was an electrician. I know electric, uh, electrical work, and it's like, oh, well, hmm. we have this house we just took, Tubman House, and we don't have any electricity in here, but we have a couple solar panels. I can show you how to hook up that. They know they know these things, you know, and this also becomes the training grounds for um, trade schools, mm -hmm. bringing that back, also teaching people how, how to do those things. People that are carpenters, they're coming past, and they help out, and they sh can show you how to build a raised bed box stronger. You know, people that uh, were actually sharecroppers, you know, or came from a, a families where they grew food, and right, they have right. all sorts of ways and techniques. You know, people who are people who are chefs, and you know, they have different ways. Like, oh, I, I know how to make a good hot sauce from those peppers. You know, and they're sharing those ideas, mm -hmm. and and hmm. our job is to make those ideas become practical and 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 be something tangible, and something we can use. You know? I just because it, it, this might be a little off the wall, maybe it's not. I don't know, but um. How many people that you worked with on in Sandtown now, the, the people in the community you're in, have been in Sandtown for 40, 50, 60 years? People who knew what it was, what it looked like back in the 50s and 60s. I don't, that is a little harder. One of our key people, um, Rhonda, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. grew up there. She grew up in Gilmore Homes. She doesn't live there. She lives on Gilmore Street, but her family still lives there. Um, so Rhonda's been there probably for 40 years or so. Um, and in the past, we've encountered people who've talked about it, but I can't, like most of our volunteers are not, not that old. Mm -hmm. It's just curious. I mean, because mm -hmm. I, I always reflect back on what Sandtown was like, mm -hmm. like in the early 60s. Yeah. You know, and thinking about that community, my brother part of my best friend back in the day was a man named Billy Bull, mm -hmm. and, and Samuel Bull, actually, but Billy Bull went to Douglas, and so we used to, he, we both lived Liberty Heights and Garrison, but he grew up and his family was mm -hmm. from Sandtown. So we, we were always in Sandtown, hanging with his family mm -hmm. and doing whatever back in the day. And I just think about that neighborhood. I can see it every time I drive down there. I can see what it looked like mm -hmm. in my head then mm -hmm. when all the houses were intact and full of people and, yeah. you know, people had jobs and were working and there was this there was a sense of community that's mm -hmm. that's that's why I was asking that question because mm -hmm. of what you were trying to build for the future I was just thinking about what mm -hmm. the past was you know yeah sometimes when I'm out there um, elders do come past and they're usually they come past and they may get some collars or some greens and but they do share stories of the past you know and um, with pride about what the community was you know um, and so we're still building we're still building because there's a generational gap and we're still building and um, making it a safe environment where elders feel able yeah. to come out mm -hmm. and then share what they have to share amongst the youth, you know? So 
we're, we're still working on that. But they do come past and they share. They talk about the A-Rabbers coming and um, they talk yeah. about A-Rabbers coming and they would sharpen knives for you in your kitchen <laughs> and bring fish and even bring compost, you right. know. So it was, uh, and all those things tie together, yeah. A-Rabbers would still be a great food transportation system if we mm-hmm. use it right in the city. Mm-hmm. And that was a, that's a you know, serious tradition in our town. Yeah. It's true. Very serious tradition. Mm-hmm. So it, so the, the, when you reflect on these two years since Freddie Gray and where you all are, I mean, I'm curious, if the, going back to the, the juxtaposition between what you see in the, the, in the larger city in terms of what people have done or not done and how you see it growing where you are. I mean, what is it? What is different? Hmm. I think for us, what we see and what we saw there immediately, you know, afterward was that people in the community, I think, were becoming more active. Um, I think that because of what happened, um, we've gotten more people engaged, more people have become engaged with us um, because they were looking for some way to plug in. But um, overall, I mean, we, we did a haunted house around Halloween this year. And, and inside the Tubman house itself? Yeah. And um, in the midst of that on Halloween, the police decide that they're going to, I guess, serve a warrant. So they run through the crowd. The children are frightened. They're actually they're traumatized. You know, it was frightening. It was a frightening experience, not only for the children, but for the adults because of the fact that people were afraid that the police might pull their guns and shoot. Um, so they chase a young man through the community. Um, so... You know, in regards to has that changed? No. (laughs) You know, there's still very aggressive policing um, that goes on. Like I said, the the rate of shootings is off the charts. Um, Even though I will concede, I feel safe where we are. I feel like when we do stuff, there's not been any, there haven't been any problems. We've had movie night. People are outside at night. They're watching a movie. So I feel like Despite the fact that these things are happening, there is still a level of community that's been established and people are are coming together. And I think that it's helping people to feel not just safe, but to feel like, okay, we can do these things in our community, too. They do them over here. They do them over there, which is why we do those kind of things like the haunted house. We just want simply to provide things for children that other communities have. So we're here talking about Tubman House, a year after they've liberated Tubman House, expanding in in uh, Sandtown, two years after the death of Freddie Gray. You just heard Dominic Stevenson, who's one of, been one of the leaders of this, along with Eddie Conway and many others, who's program director of the American Friends Service Committee and friend of a friend, and Sar Mesh Amen, who is farm manager at Tubman House. We'll be right back. Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steiner, still here. We're still talking with the folks from Tubman House here on the Mark Steiner Show. Uh, we are here with Asara Meshaman, who is farm manager of the Tubman House Farm, and Dominique Stevenson, who's program director of the American Friend Service Committee and friend of a friend, along with Eddie Conway, who she co-authored the book Martial Law, The Life and Times of Baltimore Black Panther, uh, were part of the leaders of a movement that took this house across from Gilmore Homes, liberated it, made it a space, put a beautiful mural inside, began a farm and a space outside for people to use, and they've just taken a new space a couple blocks away for more, building more of a farm 
where they show films, and it's right across the street from the now famous mural of Freddie Gray, uh, which is the corner from which he was snatched. Um, so talk about what's going on at Tuppet House. I mean, we have events coming up this week, right? So what's happening? Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, okay. starting Wednesday. Is this, yeah, Wednesday. Know, tonight, Tuesday, or Wednesday? Yeah, it's it's going to be Wednesday, um, which is the the second anniversary of Freddie Gray's death. So obviously, um, a time to commemorate, um, to memorialize Freddie Gray, as well as all of the people who've been killed by the police. Um, we want to. We want to create a tradition where we start to acknowledge other activists. So we're going to um, acknowledge Tawanda Jones, her, her work around, you know, making yes. people a aware. Woman. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we're going to to honor her. Um, Mama Charlotte Hill O'Neill, who, if you're familiar with the um, movie A Panther in Africa, her and her husband uh, went to Tanzania. Well, she's in the country. She's going to mm. perform. We're also going to surprise her with an honor, too, because uh, she's worked, I mean, done very similar work, but probably on a much larger scale than ours in Tanzania. Her and her husband have pretty much built a community there working with children. So we're going to, like I said, start this tradition of honoring people, um, you know, while they're around, acknowledging the contributions that they make um, to struggle and just being able to lift up that spirit of rebellion, which we appreciate, rebellion and resistance. So that, and so this is tomorrow night? Wednesday. So what time, where? So we're going to start at 4 o'clock um, right outside Tubman House, which is at the corner of Mountain Pressbury. Tubman is 1618 Pressbury. We're going to start with children's activities at 4. The speakers will probably begin at 6 o'clock, and we're going to go until 8.30. Have hot dogs, hamburgers. It's also a time for the community to just come out, and, you know, it's our first block party of the year. That's very cool. That's cool. So, so, where do, so talk about the vision where you go, where it goes from here. I mean... We talked a bit about the farm going to go under the ground and and, mm -hmm. and and loving the houses. I mean, part of it part of it is you're taking liberating spaces, but obviously the realpolitik part of it is negotiating with the city, right? Mm -hmm. So I mean, talk about where you all think this this moves ahead. Well, I'm with the houses um, being uh, leveled, they're going to be de deconstructed, and some of those building materials will go back into the farm. You know, so that's. So does that happen? You're, you're doing the tearing down or the no. city's doing the tearing down? The, yeah, the city will, will be responsible for the deconstruction. I don't know if you remember the whole history, but they had, I think, already paid the contractor. But we have submitted an MOU because we, we, um, we've been negotiating back and forth with the city. And so we're looking at potentially doing a five-year lease with option, first option to buy. Um, and at that point, we want to have a mostly community-centered uh, board. We want that land to go to the community. You want buying the land itself? Mm-hmm. We, we're looking at buying, but we're going to start with a five-year lease because we there's work that we need to do, obviously, and there's going to be a lot of building. And we're doing this pretty much with no budget. I mean, clearly we beg, borrow, and steal. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, we took the house, but you know, we're we're <laughs> doing this on heart and love, you know. And so far, things have been. I mean, I'm not being uh, an idealist, but idealism is okay sometimes. Yeah. It's like just let's just be guided by the fact that there's a spirit out there that says this is good, this is right. So what about this? And seeds cost money too, right? Yeah, they do. And um, but growing food, you also um, can grow your own seed and we save our seed and we also um, are into uh, getting seed from other farmers, other local farmers. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to that, last summer we had our first program where we were able to um, have youth from Gilmore Homes and we were able to educate them on farming and food and uh, health and wellness and give them a stipend for learning. And so this season will be their second season. So, you know, we're we're making our own farmers, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, as we progress, we're going to have those young adults that are going to grow and they're going to have even more ideas, more to contribute. And there's still more land there. So, you know, we, we, have, we have a lot of work to do, but we also are creating from the community who we need to change the community. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So, so I'm just curious. So what did you learn to be a farmer? Um... um my father was a sharecropper. My aunts they, and my uncles, they were all sharecroppers. So um, I grew up in that tradition of Where learning. did you grow up? I grew up here, uh-huh. but I grew up in that tradition of hearing those stories. Gotcha. Um, because of the nature of sharecropping, my father wouldn't even step foot on something that looked like a garden. You know? <laughs> right. Um, you know, uh, forced mm-hmm. to uh, only have a third grade education. You know, but rising from that, he, had, he learned a lot of life lessons. He went, you know, um, successful business owner. So I learned a lot about agriculture from there. Um, I'm also a graduate from the Beginner Farmer Training Program. Um, I did that uh, two years ago. So that, that was also something that added to more of my um, large-scale farming uh, vision or how to uh, do production. You know, um, so I did that training, and that, that also helped. But in between you know, my childhood and my adulthood, um, I always have been inclined to teach people about how to grow their own food for self-sustainability, for uh, self-empowerment, um, from growing sprouts indoors to uh, making a, a container garden from your own storage contain- container, self-watering garden, so, or self-watering garden box. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so what is, um, politically, I'm curious where you see this going. Um, politically. You know, I mean, I mean, I was thinking back to the roots, Eddie's roots, mm-hmm. and, the, and the Panther Party, and mm-hmm. the things people tried to do. Yeah. Well, that, actually, that's a good question, because when we first started, like I said, it was these brothers passing out lunches. We were looking at, okay, how can we engage the community? Folks inside of the prison system where our program Began friend always, friend, yeah. Mm-hmm. They always wanted to be able to send folks back out in the community to to create some level of transformation. Um, understanding that, like communities have to self determine what's best. So they started out doing that that food program because they were inspired by the Panthers. It's like, okay, how can we engage the community? Well, if hunger is real. Let's hand out bag lunches. So it was a way for them to kind of engage, particularly young people in the community, talk to them. And it just, once Eddie was released, it, it obviously grew bigger and bigger and bigger. So, I mean, we're looking at 
This is just one small area of the city. We hope to influence other people. We're willing to work with other people who want to find out, how did you do that? We want to do this over here. We want we want to see this happen more um, all across the country. I'm like, you know, we need to be looking at sustainability right in our communities. Jobs are gone. So how are we going to create um, the necessary economic system where folks don't have to fall into the drug game, where people have other options? Because for far too long, young people in that community have not been given very many options. So, I mean, the ultimate vision is... Okay, these couple of blocks today, the world tomorrow. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm, right, 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 right. I mean, I think that that's, I mean, that's an, an important piece of this. I mean, people mm-hmm. just to understand where this potentially takes us on mm-hmm. lots of levels. I mean, we've covered farming projects in different cities, and they've, they've maybe on the one hand sold stuff so they could sell the restaurants to make money, mm-hmm. but they have not also figured out how to feed the people Yeah, at the same time, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. As, they, as, those things, mm-hmm. as if they're mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. You can't do both. It's funny. Given our legacy, it's the same mantra. Land, bread, and housing, mm-hmm. food, clothes, and shelter. Mm-hmm. It's still the same mantra. It's still the same needs when we have town hall meetings mm-hmm. and the community has a chance to speak. It's still We still have the same needs, including jobs. Yeah. You know, so, um, yeah, yeah. So we're just following the same plan, same plan, mm-hmm. meet those needs. Mm-hmm. The, uh, when we think about where we go from here, I mean, this is, because so most people would start a project like yours and they would wait till they wrote a grant. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> they get the money in, but that's clearly not the politically or philosophically or in terms yeah. of how you view society about where exactly. you thought this should start. Yeah. We wouldn't even have the credibility, I think, if we had done it that way. <laughs> you know, I mean, that was important to right, us that right, right. We, we did a town hall last year and we invited people in to, to brainstorm and work collectively with us and the community. But we told folks, like, don't come here if you're coming to write grants because that's happened to that community. Remember, this community was part of the empowerment zone. Um, And I worked there in the 90s, and I haven't seen much change since that time there. So we wouldn't, you know, we wanted to, to approach the community very differently. We wanted people to understand we're not here because we're getting paid to do this. We're not getting grants. Obviously, the people who are working with us need to live and eat. So we have to figure out, and we know this, some type of cooperative economic system so that the people that are putting in work will eventually you know, benefit from that. It, like I said, as well as trying to create something that creates jobs. We're giving these young people these skills, but they need employment right. or, or else it's for, you know, it's for nothing. So we that part we have to, to figure out and we have to work on, which is why we quickly started looking at potential cash crops, um, the grapes, the hops. We were told there's a worldwide shortage of hops. Who knew? <laughs> People like that beer. So, yeah. yeah. So we're like, okay, <laughs> hops, that's that's good. So we're trying these things. Um, but, yeah, we, we just wanted to have that level of freedom also of doing it the way we wanted to do it versus – doing it the way we said we would do it for the purpose of a grant. <laughs> mm-hmm. That There's mm-hmm. a big difference a lot of times. Huge difference. And I think that it's also, 
well, the political consciousness you come from and mm-hmm. uh, and how you how you approach these things. I mean, I think that and uh, and you you can feel like the whole notion of co-ops are like really begin to bubble up in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of energy around co-ops in the city. Yeah. Right certainly now. around the world when yeah. you look at what's happening. Yeah. And any time where people have to uh, pool their collective resources and talents to be able to uh, maintain a, a well-being of life, you know, um, mutual aid societies as well as cooperatives mm-hmm. and, and, you know, it, it, however we can pool our resources, you know, to be able to um, be more sustainable, to keep our families happy and striving. Yeah. So two years ago when you began this and seized that house, <laughs> liberated that house, I should say, um, this, this, you've come a long way. I mean, this thing is really... Yeah. Guys, you got it's become the community center. Yeah, when we did it last year, my thing was like, okay, I told Eddie, I was like, let's take a house. This is our last stand. I'm like, you know, we've been <laughs> been doing work here, doing work there, and like, this is the last stand. Let's take a house. Let's take some land back. Um, and I guess I was the instigator. I can't <laughs> say I had this big, excuse me, this big vision. Um, I think that the people who've come and participated have helped to flesh out the vision. And but I will say that, I mean, the original vision came from the prison system. The men inside the prison that we work with always had this vision that somehow what they're doing inside is going to transfer outside into the community, Um, because actually that's the only way that we're going to create the necessary change that stops people from going into the prison system. Um, We have to do that. And, you know, certainly when we started working there, we couldn't have known um, that Freddie Gray would be killed or any of that would happen. And and the reality is there's still hundreds of Freddie Grays in that community and throughout Baltimore. And I think that's one of the the biggest things I, like, regret about all of this is his loss of life and the fact that he, for some people, only became meaningful in death. And I'm like, we should— have more consideration for those Freddie Grays that are out there right now, for those Freddie Grays that are in the prison system. We need to really begin to work to create a different world for folks so that they have more options uh, and more viable options. No, well, I think that that's the way you all are approaching this is so very powerful because it's not about government and it's not about business mm-hmm. and it's about creating community it's about building something very different building an alternative mm-hmm. <clears throat> building a way to make world with and for and with people yeah in community I and mean, that's a very rare thing maybe not so rare as we think yeah maybe not so rare yeah, as we think i don't really, think it right? is yeah <laughs> I, mean, I think all over the world that people yeah. are doing this i don't think that we're unique. Um, I think it's happening all over the world, but, but people aren't aware of it, too. Yeah, I mean, I found that when I did this town meeting in Hartford, Connecticut, I mean, in West, at Wesleyan University, just a couple of weeks back. And it was this, this movie, Newtown, which was about the killings in Newtown, there's mm-hmm. children in, in Newtown. Mm-hmm. And so Newtown residents came together with residents from Hartford, Connecticut. Mm-hmm and looked at the film and had this conversation together, which was really a very powerful meeting. Yeah. But what I learned from the Hartford residents was that a lot of stuff goes on, that was going on in Baltimore mm-hmm. is happening in Hartford. Mm-hmm. And it's not isolated. Mm-hmm. 
people feel like they're isolated because we're so separate. Yeah. But there's an energy again bubbling up, I think, across mm-hmm. across the country. People saying there's got to be a different way. We can't just keep yeah. going on like this. And we could probably learn from, say, Brazil. You have the landless people's movement there much more radicalized than we are here, obviously. Um, but you also have co-ops popping up, I think, in Spain and Portugal because of the economic situation. So there's a lot, I think, that we can learn from that. But, yeah, our communities are in dire shape, and we have to... Yeah, I mean, because the, 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 the kind of jobs people have in, in communities like our Santana and other places, mm-hmm. um, people will eke out these low-wage low wage living I mean living for for, for low wages yeah. uh in that if they if they in, if they instead were a workers co-op with people doing that exact same work whether it's cleaning up the stadiums or mm-hmm. whatever the work is that mm-hmm. that brings people together in an organization that they own that they control they actually make a living mm-hmm. off of and you create something of a very different model I mean that's yeah. it's true it's true and it's I mean in in our communities um like uh, just simple things like last summer, the children made pickles. Everybody loves pickles. Go to the corner store and just get pickles. Cucumbers you all grew at right. the, the farm? Uh-huh. Exactly. You know, uh, and a lot of those dollars leave the communities. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it doesn't come back. Some of those corner stores don't give anything back. You know, uh, many of them don't. Um, but the children that made pickles, you know, community loved those pickles, you know. Why can't why can't we buy pickles from ourselves? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, Sunflower seeds. There were a few things that they did. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, and and a youth a youth also uh, learned how to weld. You know, um, so we're looking at this table while we were in here and just yeah, looking yeah. at it's like, wow, this is a uh, reclaimed wood from the Joyce in the house. Well, you know who made this? Who's that? You know, you know the brother who made this, Mike McGuire. Okay. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. He made this table for us. Okay. Yeah. 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 Simple things like that. Right. You know. And I mean, um, instead of scrap metal being scrapped, it could be used to make furniture. You know, furniture that's going to last, not furniture that you have for one year and throw away. Right. You know, um, people like nice things. There's artisans, there's crafts, craft makers. So what I'm saying is that um, it goes back to that just pulling back from the resources of the community, from those Mm -hmm. talents, you know, letting them express themselves economically. What kind of pickles did you make? Uh, they were just basic dill pickles with a little bit of spice in them. Yeah. yeah. Salt, pepper mix, you know. Yeah. 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 Sounds good. Yeah. 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 Pickle. And so, right, because there's always these jars in the corner stores full of pickles. That's right. Mm-hmm. right. That's right. That's right. I mean, and that's our history. That's our culture, you know. And now we know that those sorts of things are good. Fermented foods are good for the body. You know, so I'm... What we're doing addresses so many different social issues. You know, we haven't talked about health. You know, we really don't have to. If you're making pickles and you're making them a holistic way, you know, um, where you have the hearts and minds of your consumers, right? You know, in thought, then things work. Then things work themselves out. You know, they do. Yeah. 
So um, before we let you all go, too, I, I wanted to talk about something you mentioned as we were coming in, which mm -hmm. is this trip you all are taking mm -hmm. with folks you've been working with. Who's going and where are you going? Well, it's a core group of folks who've been doing political education together, I guess, for at least a year now. Um, we used to sit outside of Tubman House on Thursdays and have our study group. It has a name, too. It's called the Gloria Richardson Study yeah. Group. Gloria Richardson. That's my, that's yeah. my woman there. So we're going to—we <laughs> do these trips to, to, to bond. Also, there's a lot of— a lot of our folks have experienced trauma. They've seen a lot of violence in the community, so it's getting people out on the road and getting them away for a little bit so that we can decompress. Um, but we're going to go, by way of Memphis, we're going to go to Ruleville, Mississippi, where uh, Fannie Lou Hamer is buried. So we're also doing, you know, studying uh, some of her speeches and just reading up on Fannie Lou Hamer. Going to work our way down the Mississippi River, um, go to New Orleans, Whitney Plantation. And we also have, AFSC has another program there that is also doing similar work in um, Holly Grove in New Orleans. They're doing farm work. So we're going to spend some time um, with our comrades there, kind of look at how we might be helpful, how they might be helpful to us. But, yeah, these, these trips are really necessary. Uh, people need to be able to step back from community and decompress. It renews us. It's what gives us, I think, that fighting spirit. Mm -hmm. You're going to Memphis, too? We're going to Memphis and Fort Pillow because um, mm -hmm. it's going to be around Memorial Day. So we'll go to Fort Pillow. And, um, and Fort Pillow is? Fort Pillow is where the, the Confederates massacred um, the black troops. This was uh, one of the Civil War battles, and they refused to let them surrender and instead killed them. So we'll probably go there to pay our respects uh, to those folks who died, you know, resisting slavery. All right. So tomorrow night, Wednesday night. Wednesday night. Starting at 4 o'clock. Yeah. Kids and then. Yes, then adults. But everybody's welcome to come at 4. Come, you know, enjoy some time with the children. Um, come do face painting, whatever, you know. We always need people to to help out. Uh, so. Very cool. So yeah. just show up at. Pressbury and... Yep, 1618 Knight. Pressbury, right there at the corner of Mount, across from the Freddie Gray mural. Right next to 1619. Well, yeah, that's a whole long story, because that was our original name. That's what I thought, right? <laughs> yes, that was our original. We were calling ourselves the 1619 Coalition. Yeah. <laughs> but what happened? Still the six, are you still doing that? Well, you know, it's like it, it got to the point where I think there were too many names and it was confusing. <laughs> so it was like Tubman House, friend of a friend, they're over there, you know, yeah. Right. So, yep. Because <laughs> even the farm has a name, but we're like, okay, we'll just call it right now the Tubman House Farm. Cause... What's the name of the farm? Uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, Sundiata Coley Community Farm. That's a lot. Yeah, it is yeah. a lot. But it's necessary. <laughs> yeah. We want people to know who these people are yeah, yeah, or yeah, yeah, ask yeah, yeah. who they are, you know. Yeah. <laughs> this is great. So it's great to have you both here. Thank you. I'm Sarah Mesherman. Always good to see you. Thank you. Farm manager at Tubman House Farm and Dominique Stevenson, one of the people who helped found that farm, program director, I'm not familiar, of the house, excuse mm -hmm. me, program director of American Friends Service Committee and friend of a friend. Good to have you all in the house. Thank right. you. Peace. The Mark Steiner Show is a production of the Center for Emerging Media. Our senior producer is Mark Gunnery. Our producer is Amani Spence. Our research producer is Calvin Perry. Our production assistant is Nadia Ramlagan. Our engineer is Andre Melton. Our intern is Michael Dixon. Our theme music is by Juan Matthews with Clean Cuts. And send me your thoughts about today's program to talk at steinershow.org. The podcast of Mark Steiner Show and share it with your friends. Visit us on the web at steinershow.org. 
or listen to us via your favorite podcasting app. For your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM. I'm Mark Steiner. Take care. Thank you.